Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and Merry Christmas. We pray the joy of the season fall upon you and you can richly enjoy all the blessings in celebrating the birth of our King Jesus. Today on the Salty Pastor Podcast, how does the supremacy of Jesus in all things impact your life today? Let's welcome the Salty Pastor, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Merry Christmas to you all. I just really appreciate uh, your... Uh, listening i i'm just really blessed by your involvement and your encouragement love it when you guys send us comments and and know how we're doing on occasion some of you will send me emails of articles you've read i really have appreciated that i love the way people are really digging deeper first of all into the biblical truth and then second of all uh, in how those truths translate and apply to everyday life in order to give us some type of compass to guide us through these Absolutely. crazy times. Because people are like, why are people acting this way? Why are people thinking this way? Why is everything around us unraveling? And my position on it is that actually some of our thought leaders back in the 40s and the 50s wrote about this happening, uh, what we are experiencing today. They, they basically wrote, this is what's going to happen. Elton True Blood wrote a book in the late 40s called The Predicament of Modern Man. It's a little tiny book. It's about the size of your phone. And it's, it's thing, but he talks about these very issues and what happens mm. when we start allowing these ideologies and foundational philosophical axioms to be propagated through the major institutions. And when I say that, I mean things like uh, our justice system, our political systems, but most importantly, our public education system. This is what you end up with. So a lot of what we're experiencing today is a result of what the thought leaders back in the 40s and 50s in America said we would experience today. So that's why I like doing this podcast, and I really appreciate everybody uh, uh, listening and participating. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in. So on Tuesday, we discussed uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 22, where Paul writes that Jesus has the supremacy in all things. Mm -hmm. One of the defining aspects of a king is what impact uh, does or does did his kingdom have on the world? Yeah. So Colossians shows Jesus has supremacy over the church, over government authorities, over scientific discovery, over justice, and more. Yeah. Why is it important that we, as human beings, adhere to the principle that Jesus is king over all things? Well, obviously, in Colossians chapter 1, and if you read Ephesians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, John chapter, uh, Gospel of John chapter 1, I mean, the list goes on and on. You find that uh, Jesus is king and has supremacy in all things. And what that principle means is it has a lot of application, but in particular, it means that there is an objective, eternal truth that defines reality for us and this truth exists outside of our own reality so no matter how much we study our own reality so we, we will never understand the ought the the purpose of it because truth exists outside of this reality space and time and defines it for us and this is uh, this is Hume's point in his book. Uh, I think it's called Treatise of Human Nature. And that is how do you determine an ought from an is? 
And see, science is about studying what is, right? right? And that's why I'm a huge fan of science. And I push science and try to push as many people into learning and studying science. Uh, I always warn people to be careful of scientism. And what scientism is, is the religious movement within the scientific community to make science a religion. And so they're, they're the atheists that have tried to basically say that, that science is atheism and so forth. And they make all these religious faith-based statements about it, which I, mm. I find really quite interesting. But, uh, but science in and of itself, what a wonderful thing, wonderful discipline. Love it, love it, love it. And I want to push people into it. But what has happened in our society is that... Uh, is that we've lost this belief, not because of science, but because of scientism, the religion of science or the religion of atheism. And uh, what that has caused is uh, interference with our capacity to interact with this objective truth. And when we stop interacting with this objective truth thing outside of us, what it does is it stops human potential from flourishing. And so postmodern philosophy is the mental construct of the day. It is a paradigm for how you are taught to think. And at its core is a denial of this foundational principle that there is an objective truth that exists outside of us and we can know that truth. And so I think that that's really kind of what philosophically is going on in our world today. And that is the root of so much of this confusion. Hmm. So how about giving us a practical consequence of this shift in thought? Oh, everybody wants practicality. Just a little bit. <laughs> how do I apply it to my life right now? Well, actually, uh, let's, be, let's, uh, let's do just a little thought experiment. experiment. I, want all of you to, I want to ask you guys a question, and I want you to think about this, and that is this is one of the proofs of God. It's one of the five primary proofs of God's existence. And here it is. If there is no God... There is no objective morals or duties. So I want you to think about that philosophical statement. It's a conditional statement. If there is no God, so that if there is no objective eternal truth, then there can be no objective morals or duties. All we have is what is. We can never answer the question what ought to be. Okay? Okay. So... No God, no objective morals. And what's really interesting is all the people who argue atheism all agree on this. You know, Dillahunty, the cosmic skeptic, Dawkins, Hitchens, uh, the list just goes on and on and on and on. And they all, you know, Sam Harris, they all say the same thing is that, well, there is no objective moral standard. Okay. Now that is, you know, so in their point, but I can be a moral person and you're like, well, well, that's fine. I'm so happy you are, but there's no incentive. And if there's one thing the authors of the book Freakonomics have shown us is that human beings operate on an incentive basis. So once you remove that, there's no incentive for the, uh, the other atheist or the other person, secular humanist to say, well, I'm so glad you think that kindness is good. I think kindness is bad. Because it turns people soft. Um, you might say as an atheist, well, I believe, you know, abusing women and children is wrong. But the atheist right next to you says, well, I think it's awesome. Hmm. So, see, there, there's no, 
when there's no objective morality, then there's no objective duties. So that's the first statement. If there is no God, there is no objective moral or duty. However, everyone lives as if there are objective morals and duties. Right. <laughs> everybody lives that there is an ought. Like everybody agrees it is wrong to eat your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a that is an objective truth, I would say. Yeah. Now, some people are going to go and say, "Well, what about all those pygmy tribes in Papua New Guinea who still practice pa cannibalism?" Blah 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 blah. I'd say, "Nice try," but my saltiness says you're so ignorant because even in all of those communities, those tribes that do that, they know what they're doing is wrong, and so they have to perform a purification ceremony afterwards. See, so everybody knows that cannibalism is wrong. And what's fascinating is everybody would agree that sexually molesting children is wrong. You know, um, what I find fascinating about it is everybody lives with an ought. Hmm. But we can't get an ought from an is. Therefore, where does the ought come from? See, if there are no objective morals and duties because there is no God, but if we live as if there is objective moral duties and uh, therefore there must be a God because they come from somewhere. Right. <laughs> right. And so, so that, that's kind of a, a for instance. Now, some people would say, okay, well, that seems pretty abstract. That's just a little mental exercise. Well, let me try to clarify it for this way. Is that... Can the tree of liberty grow out of a different soil than it did? For instance, can the ideals of American liberty and freedom, justice for all, grow out of a different soil? And the answer to that question is, from all the historical evidence, no. Because those ideals do not exist in any other Eastern philosophy or political system that has been constructed. It's only flown out of the Western civilization, Protestant influenced school of thought. Okay. Now, when you talk about the tree of Liberty and how it grew, we can go and look at what happens when we untether political theory from this seedbed of Protestant theology and its influence on our political discourse. Case in point, Karl Marx postulated a theory of government. He wrote the Communist Manifesto, and then he wrote some ensuing books, and it matured and developed and evolved over time. Anybody who studied Karl Marx can dig into that and know that. Most people discuss the details and whether or not his philosophy of social theory has been appropriately applied. But the real issue that no one will ever discuss is this, is that his entire political theory is built upon a premise and the premise is God doesn't matter anymore. So what he did is he untethered his political theory from the notion that there's an objective truth that we all eventually answer to. And 
the Frankfurt School of Social Theory has done the exact same thing. And ultimately, all social theories that derive from this tree of thought, which would be not only communism, but socialism, critical race theory, the list goes on and on, has as the underlying premise this notion that God does not exist. It's postmodern in that there is no ought that is objective that everybody can know and be held accountable to. It's simply my narrative of what I think is best. And so it becomes a very narcissistic oriented political philosophy. And so once you have as your underlying premise that Jesus is not king or that God doesn't matter, then you have all kinds of implications. You can just look back in the last 110 years, right? Uh, when we untether human government from any objective standard outside of ourselves, history tells us you end up with the Bolshevik Revolution, right? And that's exactly what Karl Marx wanted, and that's exactly what the Bolsheviks uh, instituted, and what we saw is 70 years of creating literal hell on earth. And all you have to do is uh, read Schultz and Eatson's The Gulag Archipelago, and you will find out atrocities and horrors of the way human beings acted, thought, and treated one another that no one knows about because our public education system has been taken over by the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, and so they suppress the truth. So nobody ever reads these books or understands exactly what happened in Soviet Russia, and therefore uh, they 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 only study it from the standpoint that America is bad and was in a cold war with Russia, and if America wasn't so bad, then communism would have succeeded, which of course is just a blatant fallacy. But that's what's taught in our history classes and our public education system today. That is the curriculum, which is kind of sad. But uh, you look at not only um, Russia, you can look at, this is not just a particular ethnic thing, you can look cross ethnicities as well. You can go over to uh, China and you can look at Mao Zedong's Cultural Revolution. You see the exact same thing, which is playing out today in the suppression of freedom in Hong Kong. As they are suppressing that, they've arrested every pro-democracy dissident and they're throwing them in their own gulags. Uh, today, uh, China is participating in state-sponsored internment camps, concentration camps, just like the Third Reich did, Nazi Germany, where they're rounding up uh, Muslim Uyghurs by the millions, and they use them as slave labor. And this is really sad, but it's really true. Uh, Nike has contracts with China. Nike uh, has said over and over again that we have audited our supply chain so that all of the shoes being made in China have nothing to do with what the state-sponsored slave labor is doing. Uh, but everybody on the ground over there says that's a lie because China's lying to Nike because China is a communist country that controls the truth because the truth is what they say it is. There's no objective truth. It's what they say that, it is. and they say, "Yeah, none of these Uyghurs are that are in our, our our concentration camps are working on your shoes." But everybody who's on the ground there says that's a lie. Hmm. They're busing them and training them to Nike facilities to make shoes, and that's one of the reasons why Nike has such a massive uh, uh, profit margin on their shoes. And so I find the the 
social engineering commercials from Nike about freedom and standing up for right. It, it that that is the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. When you see that stuff, what you're seeing is blatant lies being marketed to you as truth. And it's amazing to me how many people see that and believe it. Mm. Just unbelievable. So it impacts you very practically on a level. Uh, not only does this happen in China, it, ha- it didn't. It happened in the Third Reich. We could go into talk that. Uh, people are more familiar with that. But what's really fascinating today is the movement of people in the public educational system today in our universities and in public educational curriculums that downplay the Holocaust. And now people are actually denying that the Holocaust ever actually happened. And that is actually gaining ground in our universities today. So what happens is these narratives are trying to control history and what people actually know is factual. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because when you untether uh, human government from an objective standard, Jesus is king, then that allows people to basically create any kind of government they want uh, today, right now, today, look at Venezuela and what's happening. Look at what happened in Cuba. Any sub-African nation you can think of at one time or another has has uh, suffered from this. So the thing that really happens to you as a person is that you can be have your freedoms taken away, your liberties taken away. You can be impressed. You can be put in an internment camp. You, all of these things can happen very, very quickly. So basically, it just comes down to people suffer from poor government <laughs> when this happens, when they're separated. Yeah, which is a, a human, you know, it's a human well-being crisis when that happens, you know. And it happens with great regularity. We could talk about Venezuela, but let's just go back to one very recently uh, in the, the continent of Africa. Uh, Zimbabwe in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s was the breadbasket of Africa. That one country was eliminating famine and hunger on the continent of Africa. I mean, it was unbelievable, their productivity. And so what had happened, though, is that many of the farms that were being farmed, uh, producing all this food, were led by boars. They were descendants of boars, which were Dutch colonists. And what's really interesting is during a migration about two, three hundred years ago, uh, the Dutch f- left, right? And they went to two places. First, they came to America and they settled in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's why we have such awesome cheese, by the way, I think. <laughs> uh, and then they went to South Africa. And then they slowly went north. Uh, up. They kind of started migrating up north through the African continent. And so even though all of these farms were uh, employed in the, uh, uh, many of the leaders and managers of these high producing farms uh, had Zimbabwe naturally born Zimbabweans. A lot of these, uh, they were ethnically black. And then you had some the ethnically whites owned and managed the farms. Well, in their social theory, they, they felt that, well, this was uh, unequal And so Mugabe, who was uh, the dictator of Zimbabwe at that time, basically said, well, we want equality. And so go in there and take all their farms. And so Zimbabwe went from the strongest economy other than South Africa in uh, the continent of Africa to one of the poorest. And it, it all kinds of famine was created because they stopped growing stuff. And 
what is that's all because of government and and their policies destroyed the farms and the people who suffered the most were obviously the poor in Zimbabwe in Africa and so so what's happened now and this is now 25 30 years later is he was deposed and then he died and somebody else came over and what they did is they went back to all of these farmers that of course had to flee the country and they've asked them now to come back and take over the land so that it could become productive again and so um, I think that's really a fascinating thing because what happens is is that people when government is bad everybody's life is bad so that's how it impacts you individually i think so how does this affect me i mean honestly like my generation is known for not really caring about voting or participating in <laughs> politics that much i mean there was a pretty drastic leap as far as participation in this last election and yeah. stuff but just in general we're not really into yeah. it. So. so when you guys go hang out, you don't sit around and talk about who you're going to vote for. Nope, not really. <laughs> not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that the, what I see, though, is that it's not common for your generation, um, but it is common for the people who are 45 and younger. And this is what I, I see happening, and that is the struggle of people who are 40 and under, it, the greatest struggle they have is anxiety, depression, and despair. You know, that is the biggest thing. It is such a lack of purpose. Your, the, your generation, not you in particular, but people who are under 40, their inability to find true love, to actually fall in love and, and experience it and s sense it and know they're experiencing it. And the primary reason for that, I think, is because they've been taught to look at relationships from a postmodern way of thinking, which is deconstructionism. Uh, they're, in a, they're, they're unable to find happiness. You know, when, when you go out, it's really interesting when you Gallup and Pew and all these people, when they chart your generation, you know, in America, they go out and they go, hey, you know, how happy are you? Y you guys rank low just in personal happiness. And so some people in your generation feel, well, the reason why is because it's our government. And I'm like, well, uh, no, that's not why your government can never make you happy. There's no such thing as a utopia. There, there's no, as a matter of fact, finding and falling in love with a person for perfect person that won't make you happy. You know, the generation is unable to be fulfilled, to experience a deep sense of knowing that that who you are, you know, who you really are. You know, you're good. You know, you know, you're OK. Uh, you have a sense of, of identity and purpose. Um I see your generation unable to find that, right? And the reason why is because the doctrine of human dignity has been eliminated from your way of thinking. And why is it eliminated? Because our society untethered government from Jesus as king. And so uh, the, the doctrine of human dignity, people don't realize, is a uniquely Christian principle. It doesn't exist in any other philosophy, belief system, or religion in the world. Now, you might make the argument about Judaism, you know, which you'd have a strong case to make there. But in, Judaism as a religion represents, I think, maybe less than one-tenth of one percent of the global population. Basically, 
when you look at all the other Eastern philosophies and religions in the world, the notion of sovereignty of you as an individual for liberty and freedom and the notion that you as a person have dignity and I have to honor that is a uniquely Christian principle. And it comes from the fact that there is a moral objective standard outside of us. And that is Jesus is king. So when you untether Jesus is king from the way you think as an individual and then everybody around you, all of society adopts that as a core value, then the fruit, what you reap from this is a generation of people unable to experience fulfillment and happiness, living in joy, free from the oppression of anxiety and depression and despair. It's basically called nihilism. And that's what your society, I think, struggles with the most. And this is why. Because they've, it's a postmodern way of thinking that denies that Jesus is king. Well, it is Christmas time. <laughs> and that's a pretty low note to end on. <laughs> we so, don't want to end on so this let's note. let's get joyful in, in, in the season of Christmas. What can we do to be joyful? Well, I think the biggest thing is celebrate Christmas like crazy. I, I, you know, Jesus is king. And the more you tell yourself that, the happier you will be. And anybody in your generation and your kids, the greatest thing to do is, you know, Jesus is king. The more you say that, the more you think that, the more you adopt that as a core value of your life, the happier you will be. And this is why celebrating Christmas is so important because it's not just about, you know, taking time out so we can say, oh, we need to be thankful for what we have, which that can be true. It's not just about focusing on, oh, I need to get together with family and and have um, uh, happy I have family. It's not just designed ultimately for the purpose of bringing good cheer. You know, oh, we love the music and the food and stuff like that. All these things are symptomatic of a core truth. And the core truth is that we are celebrating the birth of our king. And what we're celebrating the birth of that transformed the world is that the eternal became temporal to prove to us that the eternal exists. Hmm. So we, it's not a mystery anymore. And when you look at the power of that simple truth, you start to understand why Western civilization was able to do and accomplish what it did. Because what we did is we realized there is an objective truth. There is an objective reality outside of us. Prior to that, everybody was tribal. Everybody had a God. And what you wanted your God to do, and you even see this in the Old Testament that we have that makes up our Bible, is that what you wanted your God to do is my God's bigger than your God. And so you go to battle, and whenever you won, what would you say? My God's defeated your God's, and that's why we won. And so... So people had this notion that, well, there, there should be gods and we're not quite sure what they're doing. And then, of course, the uh, Greeks came out with all the pagan deities, you know, Mount Zeus and how they defeated the Titans. And there's all this mythology around it. And then, of course, the Romans adopted that 
and they loved the Hellenistic culture. Hellenistic is another word for Greek. And so they loved the Hellenistic culture. They adopted all that. And so paganism w- was the rule of the day. And so when you go to Rome today, and, or uh, not Rome today, but to uh, the Middle East today, you know, Turkey, and even in uh, Israel and Jordan, and, and of course in Italy and in all these different places, you always uh, visit these wonderful Roman uh uh, cities and they've uh, unearthed them archaeological sites and so forth and it's just really amazing to see it and you always have a temple you know and they're always like, oh this is a temple to this to diana to diana to apollo to zeus uh, they're all these different because everybody had their own gods and but we're really what happened is these pagans were simply personifications of the struggle that we were having. They were always fighting with each other, manipulating each other, lying to each other. They were just basically humans with more power, kind of like the Avengers, I guess. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they had superpowers. But what happens is, is that when Jesus came, he revealed to us the fullness of God. And we were able to interact with Jesus. And we saw, oh, there isn't, thousands of gods there isn't all this craziness there's one god and now we can realize that there is this objective reality out beyond our own limited reality and we're accountable to that reality and so i I think the it's the ultimate purpose that the eternal is what gives our life meaning it's the eternal that gives our life purpose it's the eternal that gives our life direction and until people really discover that and live in that that every endeavor to find fulfillment in their life will be fruitless that breaks my heart you know because i want people to be filled with joy to be filled with happiness to understand who they are but sadly enough you live in a world today if you grew up in america it's going to be tough because most of what you think is true isn't hmm. Well, what we do know is that we can take joy and strength and solace mm. in knowing yes. that Jesus is king over yes. everything, over the government, over what's happening in our culture, and we can rely on that. So you're going to be talking more about this on Sunday yes. um, on the next uh, installment of Jesus is King, I guess, in this series that we're doing mm-hmm. on Sunday. So we hope you guys join us for that to, to hear the rest of this week's. Um, this podcast is always paired with the sermon on Sunday, so it's important that you listen to all three parts, the Tuesday, the Thursday, and the Sunday, um, to get the full message. So amen. we really appreciate you guys being part of the Salty Pastor audience, and we will see you yes. on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Blessings Church. and Merry Christmas!